Good morning. It's good to see you all, or good afternoon if you're catching this at the 5 o'clock service. Thanks for joining us. Really, really happy to see you in the room. feels really nice to have you here. And for all the folks viewing online, one of the things that you can be helpful by is laughing really loud at all my jokes. They'll appreciate that online because they'll know that it was funny in person, even if it's not funny in the living room. Okay? Thanks. That would be great. I'm Josh. I get the privilege of talking at you for a little while today. And this is pretty interesting that this is exactly a year into this kind of the bigger sermon series called the Gospel of Luke. You heard Ben talk about it. You see it up here and we're in week six of better, but it's just a sub-series of a much, much longer series called the Gospel of Luke. We're 52 weeks into it and we're not even halfway, right? So really, really, really long time. And what's really great is last summer we began this journey and um, boys, it's been a neat one. I, maybe for you, I certainly hope for you. It has been a very neat one for me. I turned 40 this year, and it has been by far, like, uh, exponentially the best year of my entire life. And it's not without its problems and pains and sorrows, but there's something that's happened in my life that I just can't quite explain, but I certainly hope you see, right? And what it is that's happened, and this is what's, what I appreciate so much about this Gospel of Luke, is uh, some scholars and smarter people than I am will tell you that the gospel of Luke about Jesus according to Jesus or the, the gospel of Jesus according to Luke is really the gospel of the Holy Spirit according to Luke like this is the one of all the different gospels that spends a lot of time talking about this third part of this triune God and so if this is all brand new to you there is this God exists in three different persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are the same, but they are very, very different. I understand it makes your head want to explode, and I get it too. And boy, is it complicated. But let me just help you get it this way, okay? So in the very beginning, there was God. Now, you go, I'm not so sure I believe in that. That seems really, really strange. And I understand that. And I kind of might, I'm trying to beat this over your head. And, and this isn't a persuasive speech. But here's one of the things I just would offer, that we are here. And there's no real explanation for how we got here. Particularly, there's really no explanation for how energy keeps getting transferred and the same amount of energy still stays in this world. And I see, uh, you know, lots of engineers in this room, and so this makes you very uncomfortable because you're like, ah, oh, that's not exactly how you should have said that, Josh. And I get all that. But let me just say it this way. There was something in the beginning that created more somethings, right? You don't get something out of nothing. You get something out of something. And so you have to, at some point, walk down this line and go, where did that first something come from? And whatever you conclude there, it requires a gigantic leap. Just a gigantic leap. Like, you got to lean all the way into something like I got to lean all the way in when I sit on this chair it just requires something of all of us and what the scriptures tell us and what people have understood for millennia is that the best plausible and possible explanation for that is something much more intelligent than us had to have designed all this now let's just go down that path for just a quick second okay if that's the case something greater than us got here and was here before us was all, always existed and he decided to create us and now you can go well it was through evolution whatever again I, I don't want to do the persuasive arguments right now I just will go there was nothing and then there was something we got to come to some conclusion about that and what science will try to do and I appreciate science it, I'm not anti-science for sure I love science in fact some smart person I don't even know who said it said theology is the crown jewel of all academics meaning if you trace down any field of academics eventually you're going to get to this place where you shrug your shoulders and that's where you're going to find God right and so in all this stuff I'm not anti-science I love 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 science but even in science what it will try to do is explain to you how we got here right I mean how maybe it's this maybe it's this maybe it would have had the perfect setting for these things to collide and then these things to happen but all those are just some assumptions about how What's really interesting is what science can't do, and that's why I'm glad we're here today, and why we've been working through the Gospel of Luke, is what science can't do that we can do is we can start wrestling with the why, not the how. Right there, there's a lot of whys that we can wrestle through, or a lot of hows that we're not sure of, but the real question is, why are you here? Now, there's two different sides of that. One, why are you sitting here today? What the Scriptures tell me is God, same God who was all the way in the beginning, orchestrated all this, meaning you may have thought you drove the car, set the alarm but somehow today God decided that us would interact in this way never again will this group of people interact in this way so if that's the case and this is what God is telling us is going oh we probably should pay a little attention and see what he might be up to 
But again, that's the why you might be here today, but why do you actually exist is a much bigger question. And to answer that question, we have to go back to this idea of the Holy Spirit as being part of God. You see, a lot of worldviews would say, well, there is this God, he existed outside of time, and he got really, really bored and really, really lonely. And because God was bored and lonely, he decided to create a bunch of humans. Now, that would make a lot of sense about the God that we think might be out there because it seems kind of arbitrary, and we're just here for his entertainment, right? So God was bored. God was lonely. He needed a bunch of people to show up because so, he couldn't make a TV, apparently, and wanted to watch people instead. And uh, So he created a bunch of people, and he just lets us just all run all over the place, and then he creates us so we can... I uh, worship him, and you heard Megan say glorify him, but that's kind of God being into himself, and that sounds like a pretty needy God, right? That he needs us to worship him. Like, that's what some worldviews will say, and somehow in the, they'll, they'll trick us and go, well, but God's also loving. But you see, that God's first move wasn't a loving move, it was a power move, right? And all of us feel a little bit uncomfortable with the power moves because we know when someone has the power and they create something, they usually do it in some ways for their pleasure at our expense, so if we start with this God who first does a power move and then have to add, but he's loving too, that gets really, really complicated. And you see what's really neat about the Christian faith, back to this triune God, right? This God who exists in three persons. What we can conclude is that if God existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God wasn't needy. He didn't need us for his, you know, loneliness because he existed already. He existed in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He already had a family. He existed in what the Scriptures say. And they had conversation, literally. When you read the, the Scriptures, whether they're the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, the Bible, or the Quran, there's this kind of this interaction at the beginning, and it says, God says, let us make man in our own likeness. God is either schizophrenic or he's having a conversation with the other parts of himself. Right? So God existed in three persons. He has this conversation, and they come to this conclusion, right? Perfect community, perfect love, and I would argue infinite community and infinite love. And what I've offered to you over and over again, what do you do when you have more than you need? What do you do with it? You hate throwing it away. You drop off the worst stuff at Goodwill, right? They don't want some of that junk, but you can't just throw it in the trash. You don't need it, but someone somewhere is going to need it, right? There's this, when you have more than you need, what do you do with it? You find someone to give it to. That's food. That's clothes. Probably not money. You squirrel that stuff away, don't we? Yeah. But you just find someone to give it to, right? So what if the God of the universe and this triune God existed since the beginning of time and he had more love, more community than he needed, right? Infinite. What does he do? Well, he finds an object to give it to. But he doesn't just find an object. He creates an object. But more than an object, he creates humans, right? The best understanding we have in our little minds is, I mean, we all, if we chose, decided to have kids. What were we thinking, right? Like, I mean, maybe you're thinking, well, one day I'm going to get old. I'm going to need them to take care of me. But I don't really want my kid changing my diaper personally, right? So it's not, it can't be that. And so somehow you and I, if we didn't have the accidents, go, oops, oh, I guess we're going to figure this out now. I'll have one of those, right? And so, but if, when we made the decision, well, the reason we made that decision is we had love and grace and a place, and we wanted to extend that, right? And so you see kiddos come up on the stage, and we declare the goodness of who God is through the family unit, what the church is being. So you see this, and you go, well, you know this, that the reason that you decided to bring life into the world is because you had love and you had resources, and you had capacity. So the God of the universe, who is a perfect image of us, right? We're a perfect, we're a flawed image of him, right? Like, so God is, he existed and created and spoke, and all of a sudden humans start to exist. Really, really neat. And so now you got this chaos happening. God creates creation, and what the first thing it says in Genesis chapter 1 is it was formless and void. In other words, it was chaos, and guess what happened? In the middle of all that chaos, it literally said the spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hovered over the face of the earth, meaning there was the Spirit who was bringing order and joy and hope amidst the chaos. There was formlessness and chaos, and then God's Spirit brought hope and order and direction to it. And so I'll tell you, look, something's really changed in me last year. It gets a little weird talking about it because I can't quite explain it, but I, boy, you haven't experienced it. And what it's been is God has just brought some order and love and peace and hope and direction 
amidst just a ton of chaos. If you know me at all, you know there's a lot of chaos up here, right? And so we've just, for a year, been reading about this gospel of Luke, trying to figure out, is there really the spirit that comes in and makes himself available that is more than God just died for your sins through Jesus, and one day you'll get beamed up into heaven? No, no, no. The bigger picture of the story of the gospel is that heaven is available to you now. Jesus even prayed it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So we see this. And so the whole big idea of this gospel is that God didn't come down here to take us back up to heaven. He came down here through Jesus and brought heaven with him. So the big question is, how do you experience that? And the Bible says that the way that you experience heaven on earth and please God at the same time is through faith. And guess how faith happens? Faith comes from hearing. Here we are. And hearing comes from the words of Christ. So, now the Bible also says that if we're capable of getting this and understanding and calling Jesus Lord, it only is a work of the Spirit. So right now, we got God the Father who has created us and loves us as a perfect Heavenly Father. We got God the Son and Jesus who came back to redeem us and bring us back into his family as the perfect big brother and God the Holy Spirit who speaks and makes himself known. So really long intro to say I'm pretty convinced that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. I'm pretty convinced since the foundations of the earth he took all this chaos and his spirit put some, as I've told you in past weeks, put some bumpers down the gutters of the bowling alley and we're just kind of stumbling along right to the destination and i certainly seem it certainly seems like today is a part of that destination for you for your eyes to be open your ears to be open and your heart to receive some really good stuff and so i'm just going to pray real quick and ask the holy spirit to do this and i would just pray that you'd have some curiosity and you can just say this holy spirit if you're real he can handle it he's not insecure he's not needy god if you're real holy spirit if you really can do this would you speak double dog area even if you don't believe any of this stuff what if this is true? Just say it, and then we're going to hop right in. I'm going to read some verses, and we're going to get going. You ready? Like straight out of a cannon. So here goes. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are real. You're real. And at this point in my life, you couldn't convince me otherwise, but God, I know what it's like to really wonder and be curious and suspicious. And so God, I pray that for every single person in this room that you would replace that suspicion right now, God. That judgment or contempt or whatever it is that just has come to a conclusion about you that may not be accurate about you god would you suspend all that and would you inside of us just place a little bit of curiosity and god what's really really neat in all this is holy spirit you just always have your way you actually tell us use isaiah holy spirit you write this through isaiah that you tell us in the old testament lord that your word never returns void meaning your spirit is going to go out and it's going to have its way so i pray as Jesus declared in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, that blessedness comes from hearing the word of God and keeping it. Would you help us hear it? And then would you help us keep it today? And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, we've been reading the gospel of Luke. Just a quick reminder, Luke was a doctor, like a real legitimate doctor and scientist. Like, you know, would have had his own practice, like a real human in real history. This is not folklore, myth, or legend. And some guy named Theophilus, who was probably a wealthy, well-to-do, high-power, high-influence Roman official named the, this guy named Theophilus, right, who had all this power, was starting to be curious about the possibility that God could be real, that Jesus really was God, that he really did die and come back to life and really did give us his spirit. Okay, so he hires this guy named Luke to go, I don't have time to figure all this out, but it'd be really nice if someone would spend a bunch of time researching this. So he literally hires Luke, and Luke spends years, if not a decade, to go and try to figure out whether this story about Jesus as God's son, who came and paid the price for our sin to bring heaven with him and to make it available to us, that that story, they figure out whether or not it was true, right? And so Luke, it tells us in Luke chapter 1, the very beginning as he writes to Theophilus, he says, hey, I went and listened to all the eyewitness accounts. I went and sat down with all the eyewitnesses. I went and interviewed him, like, meaning he would have talked to Jesus' mother. He'd have talked to the shepherds. He'd have talked to these disciples that were walking with him. And I went and interviewed them all, and I went and read all the written documents I could find. That had been other gospels, like Matthew and Mark. That would have been all, like, the genealogical reports and deeds of the, you know, the, the Roman government. He went and read it all. And then it said he went and listened to all the oral traditions, meaning the local rabbis and pastors declaring all this stuff. And he said he put together all this in Luke chapter 1. It says to give an orderly account, and hear this, so that you, Theophilus, and us could have certainty of the things that you've been taught. So today, 
What he wants for us in the Gospel of Luke is for you to have certainty. In a world that's uncertain, you can have certainty. But in order for you to have certainty today, you need to understand a new word that I'm going to teach you right now. And it's this word. It's called typology. Okay? It's going to get a little heady for a second, but you're smart. You got it. It's not a big deal. Uh, Typology. And so typology, let me read it to you. This is uh, Graham Cole. He wrote a book called He Who Gives Life. Really good definition. He says, typology is the idea that a, a person... Example would be Moses. Events. Example would be the Exodus. If you don't understand Moses or Exodus, not important for this moment. And institutions, example like the temple, can, in the plan of God, prefigure a later stage in that plan and provide the conceptuality necessary for understanding the divine intent. You got with me? You all follow, right? Nope. Okay. So, basically what he's saying here is, hey, like you think history is just this random group of people kind of uh, living, then dying, and moving on, and living, and dying. And the real, real reality is God has been writing a story. And every human that's in, entered in the story, every institution, whether that's the church, whether that is the, you know, the synagogue, whether that's a temple or the actual buildings, every single one of those things, they all had the capability of pointing to a true and better option. So typology basically goes, hey, there is all these things that you've seen in the world. And one day, you're going to see that there is a true and better version of Josh. There's a true and better version of Joe. There's a true and better version of Adam. There's a true and better version of Eve. There is a true and better version. And that true and better version is Jesus, right? So we're going to be looking at these true and better versions. And if you've been with us any time in, in this series called Better, every single week you get to make a choice. Really, really simple. You get to choose to go left or go right, right? Some of you are going, I just really need a flashing sign from God. There's your flashing sign. You've been looking for it for a while. It's right here in front of you. So I would choose this side. Got it? So we're going to choose to go right with the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the last couple of weeks, we got to choose whether or not we wanted to reject or receive the Holy Spirit. Last week, really, really awkward one. If, um, if you're new here, go back and listen to it and be gracious because it was pretty um, blunt and uh, stepped on a lot of toes. So wear your steel toe boots as you watch it. Um, there really is only two options in this life, and it sounds so reductionistic. Don't have time to go back into it. You can go listen. There really are only two places that you can participate in this world right now. Either you're participating in the kingdom of God, and you get to do it now. I told you the kingdom of heaven is at hand right, right now. Or you get to participate against that. By the way, it's called the kingdom of Satan. It's the kingdom of the evil one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Scriptures are very clear there, so you got to make that choice. And today, we're going to see something you get to choose. And this is going to sound so weird, but I promise it'll make sense. Hopefully, if not, then I'm just a really terrible communicator, and you should find a different church, right? And so, uh, today, you're going to get to choose between, I promise it's going to make sense, okay? <laughs> Night at first. Jonah or Jesus. And you're like, of course I'm going to choose Jesus. Who's that Jonah dude, right? Now, trust me, it's going to make sense. So you're going to get to choose the true and better version of Jonah, which is Jesus, and it's going to take us a long way around the barn to get there. So I'm in Luke chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 28, and we're going to learn about some typology today. You ready? But he, that's Jesus, said, He's talking to them. He's just told them to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of Satan. And they're going, yeah, I'll do that. And some people are going, wow, your mom should be proud. She's awesome. And he goes, yeah, she's awesome. But you don't want to know who's really awesome? You want to know who really has a lot of joy? That word blessed just means happy in the scriptures. You want to know who really gets to operate in life? Blessed, happy are those who, you ready for this? Hear the word of God and keep it, right? So it's so funny is that word keep um, was a, a description of like a shepherd that's like vigilant. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not asleep, staying awake, watching for the wolves. And uh, the best modern day analogy I can offer you here is a lifeguard. I went to Rehoboth Beach yesterday. Um, I first went to Purgatory and then went to Rehoboth Beach. That three hour drive, it was, <laughs> it was really, really bad. I mean, people are just stopping, hopping out of the car, grabbing a couple more beers, hopping back in the car. I mean, it just, it literally was just like a parking lot out there. And what really was frustrating is before I left, I put margarine, that's like butter, but the cheap stuff that's not good for you all over my body thinking, I, this is going to fry my skin and I'm going to get a really good tan. 
But by the time I got there, it all dried up, so I had to lube myself. Some, that's all a joke. I didn't do any of those things. But, so I'm, I'm driving all the way down there. There's six of us in the car. Briggs brought a friend, my two daughters. Briggs is my oldest, and Julie and I. And so we're driving down there, and it was a three-hour drive. And I had to, like, I, I think I lost my salvation. I found it a couple of times along the way on the side of the road in the 7-Eleven. And, you know, but, like, it was like, whoa. So we get there. And then we get there, and honestly, guys, like, I, I'm not exaggerating here. I'm a pastor. I never would. There was at least a million people right there <laughs> in just that one parking lot. So we drop them off and I mean, it is, it's miserable. And I had to park like a mile from the beach and I got a, I got a messed up toe. So I'm like all hobbling with like seven chairs and a pack mule and the Virgin Mary on my back and Joseph walking alongside me. I mean, it's just a broken deal. And so, so I get there and you like, we get, you get there and you, there's really no spot on the beach, right? So there's just people everywhere. And if you've been to Rehoboth, there's like these I don't know. I don't know what they are. Like blocks, wood, all in the water. And the lifeguard's number one job is obviously you don't want anybody to die, but to keep them away from that, right? And so these poor lifeguards, they just sat out there. And they'd come every 60 seconds, and they would blow a whistle. They'd hold up their float in this hand, and they would do this right here. And I was like, there's a plane about to land in this place, right? And so over and over again, it just got exhausting. By the way, you can tell your age by whether or not you comment on whether or not the, uh, the lifeguards wear enough of a bathing suit, okay? So once you know, don't know your age, but you're probably old. And no millennials could com- comment on those things, right? And so the lifeguards, they're working really, really hard. They're doing this, blowing the whistle, doing this, blowing the whistle. And there are, I mean, I couldn't imagine their job, like having to stay completely focused. They're sprinting from place to place, literally. And they, no I'm kidding, they, they were vigilant. They kept their eyes in the water. I mean, there were, there were thousands of people just in the water. And it was so weird, it was freezing, 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 then it'd get warm. Then it'd be freezing, 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 then it'd get really warm again. And what's even crazier is there were no lines to the bathrooms. <laughs> right? And so all these people on these lifeguards are just standing there and there. And so when we think about this, um, and, and if you're wondering what's been going on with my hair, every time I'm out in the sun, I'm just spraying peroxide in it. That is true, sun in. And so you're like, you've, you've wondered, there it is. And so, um, so anyway, lifeguards sitting there. And literally, they have to stay really, really vigilant. So when Jesus says, whoever hears this and then keeps it, literally is like someone who has got God's word and is looking for opportunities to obey it and to keep it and to participate in it, right? Like this is the, God's given us his word and he's going, hey, you want to find real joy in life? Is that going to come from that job or that spouse or that kid or that car or that, you know, that, that resume or that new house? Do you want to really find joy? This is so crazy. It actually comes from hearing God's word and keeping it. So he's going, it's available to you, right? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, sounds so weird. But for the last year, this Holy Spirit has been doing some real, real work in me. I was like, ah, oh, there is this real joy. And so he goes, you want that joy? This is how you do it. And we get to do it today. Blessed are those who hear it. So you're about to hear some more. And this is what he says next. Verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, right? I just told you about crowds increasing, increasing, increasing. He began to say, listen to this. This is not very nice. Jesus just gets right to the, the punch here. He's just very direct. These are a bunch of religious people around him. And it says this. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. This isn't nice, right? This is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah, right? What does this mean? So Jesus, all these people are crowded, and the people that are crowding are a bunch of religious people. Now, let me remind you of the definition of religion. It's not a good one. So being religious is not something we celebrate as really awesome around here, right? Because religion is man's attempt, that's you and I, to either get back to God or become your own God. That's all religion is. Christianity is a little different. Christianity is God's perfect attempt to actually bring himself back to man. Got it? Religion is man's attempt to try to get to God, climb the ladder, perform the checklist, go to church every week, give the money, wear the, uh, tuck in your shirt, part your hair, whatever those things are. Those things that you thought somehow would make God happy with you. That's religion. And so Jesus is interacting with all these really religious Jews. And they had list upon list upon list. They had thousands of rules and laws to follow. There was all sorts of stuff to do. Lots of different temple taxes and tithes and all sorts of stuff to give. And Jesus pulls them in. He's about to address these people who believe that they are going to find their happiness and joy in their performance. Right? And so he goes, he just says, blessed are those who hear this and keep it, not those who perform well. And he goes, this is an evil generation. By the way, every generation continues to say that about the generation right behind it. 
throughout history, that's just been the case. It's that generation. If they don't get it together, they're going to ruin the world, right? But there really is this broken evilness in us. Jesus actually told us we all were evil a couple of weeks back, and that's not something that should be offensive to you. It should actually be freeing. Oh, okay. He really knows me and still loves me, right? And so he says, hey, this is a really, really broken generation, and what you're looking for is a sign, meaning you are actually looking for someone, like, for God to show up. You've done it and go, hey, hey, God, if you just would, I would. Hey, tell me, if you'll get me out of this, then I'll do this. Some of you are actually in church today because of that kind of, you know, give and take with God. He's glad you're here. There's no shame in that, but this idea that we always are looking that if God, if you would, and what I usually joke, and it's offensive, and I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a gotcha statement, so it's kind of silly, but I go, wouldn't it be nice if God would give us a sign? Like, I don't know, take 15, 1,600 years and write us a letter. Like, throughout history, write this really long letter and tell us everything about him, tell us everything about how we got here, tell us everything about how he feels about us and give us some instructions on how we can live following him. Wouldn't that just be nice if he'd do that? Right? Of course, what I'm meaning is the scriptures while we're reading them, they hear them and keep them and... So there's a bunch of people going, Jesus, if you'll do us one more magic trick, this time we'll believe you. How about this? Take your thumb off. But not like the trick one, like really take it off and put it back on, right? Like they're always looking for this next thing, thinking that would be the thing that would finally solve it. And Jesus is going, that's not going to be enough, guys. You're turning me into a dog and pony show. You want, you want a sign. And guys, you want a sign. You want to actually know whether or not Jesus is God, that he really did love you, that he really did bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, that he really is making the spirit available to you. He says, I'll just give you one sign. And then he says something really, really strange. And he says, except the sign of Jonah, okay? A sign of Jonah, sign of Jonah. So in just a second, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. Got it? So I want you to watch the story of Jonah throughout the scriptures. And so Jonah, now these guys, these Hebrew religious folks would have really, really known this story. I assume many of you do. This is where you get swallowed by the big fish. Someone will say you get swallowed by a whale, and someone will go, there's not a whale, it's a fish. It doesn't matter. You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it a dinosaur with, you know, scales. I don't really care. So he, uh, but whatever it is, this is the story of Jonah and the whale. And so I want to remind you of the whole story real quick on the screen just to review. And here it is. God's story. Jonah. So part of God's story is in the book of Jonah, and it begins like this. God told Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people they have been wicked and they should stop being wicked or I will destroy them. But Jonah got scared and decided to go to the city of Tarshish by boat. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go. Can you imagine running away from God? Anyway, when the boat was at sea, God sent a storm. The storm was so scary that all the sailors thought the ship was going to be destroyed. So they threw a bunch of stuff off the ship. I don't know how less luggage was going to help, but that's what they did. While all of this was happening, Jonah was inside the ship sleeping. The captain saw him and said, How can you sleep right now? Pray to your God and ask for help. Then the sailors decided to cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. Casting lots is a lot like the lottery. Except when lots are cast, whoever wins doesn't always really win. Like this time, when the lot fell to Jonah. The sailors asked him what he had done to cause the storm and what they should do to make it stop. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will calm the storm. But the sailors didn't want to. They tried really hard to row back to shore, but the ship just didn't go anywhere. So the sailors apologized to God for throwing Jonah overboard. And then they threw him overboard. I don't know if they ever apologized to Jonah, but God is the one who made the scary storm. And if you're going to apologize to anyone, you should apologize to God. It's just a good idea in general. So as soon as Jonah was off the boat, the storm stopped. I wonder if Jonah thought to himself, what am I going to do now? Well, God had an answer. All of a sudden, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Yep, Jonah was now inside a fish. Things went from bad to worse real quick. Now the Bible says a fish swallowed Jonah. We don't know if it was a whale or something else. But whatever it was, it had to be big enough to swallow a man whole without having to chew. Kids, always chew your food before swallowing. You're not a giant fish. Anyway, Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine being stuck in a dark and stinky place for three days straight? Like a porta potty? Well, imagine being inside a big fish. Dark and sloshy and really stinky. Basically, a porta potty with fins. After the three stinky days, God made the fish spit out Jonah. 
Actually, fish can't really spit. Jonah got vomited out. Vomit is also known as puke, barf, hurl, oatmeal seconds, upchuck, blown grits, ralph, toss cookies, technicolor yawn, and chunder. Basically, the fish got rid of Jonah through its mouth. Do you get the idea? So while stinky Jonah was there on the beach, God told him a second time to go to Nineveh and tell the people to stop being wicked. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. Listening to God is always a good idea. When he arrived, he told the people that God said they should turn from their evil ways. They believed him, so everyone, and I mean everyone, fasted and put on sackcloth. Fasting is when you don't eat and pray really, really hard. Putting on a sackcloth is putting on a sackcloth. Now when God saw how they had stopped doing bad things and were really sorry, he decided not to destroy them. And that's the book of Jonah. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away on a boat. Jonah got thrown off the boat to stop a storm. Fish swallowed Jonah. Three days later, fish threw up Jonah. Jonah told people at Nineveh to stop being wicked and they stopped. God didn't destroy them. And that's a part of God's story. So now you're caught up to speed. This is a story that these Israelites who would have come close to Jesus, these religious folks, they would have known this story really, really well, and they would have seen themselves as the Israelites like Jonah, and they would have seen all the bad people like the Ninevites, right? Those are the people who literally worshipped a uh, this god called Dagon, right, which is the father of Baal. Really, really interesting. So if you go and watch the story of Elijah, the prophets of Baal, really, really, these false gods. And this god was a fish god. It literally was a merman not kidding and so it was like a half fish half man and it was a you know fake god not a real god and people worshiped it particularly the people who lived in Nineveh which is a part of Assyria had a big 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 seashore right and so it's interesting is Jonah is told to go tell them that their life is really broken and things are going to end badly for them right so Jonah's this mouthpiece it's not his message it's God's message going this isn't going to work out for you this isn't. You can worship fake little, you know, trinket gods, but it will not work out for you. It will not satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. And when you fail it, it cannot forgive you, right? This is going to end badly for you. You cannot put all your hope in this fish god, right? So it's interesting is Jonah's like, I don't really like those people. I don't really want to do it. So he goes the opposite direction. And then he gets on a boat. Now this is where it gets really interesting. So we got a couple things. Jonah gets on a boat. He gets kicked off a boat, right? There's a big storm. Jonah then gets eaten by a fish. Then he gets regurgitated out of the fish. And literally he's going 2,000 miles the opposite direction to Tarsus instead of Nineveh. And then he ends up on the seashore of Assyria. Literally this big fish delivers him where he's supposed to go. All sorts of craziness. But remember, I told you this is about typology. This means Jonah is actually pointing to someone true and better than Jonah. Jesus, right? And so um, what's interesting is this, uh, there's a couple different stories. One where Jesus is actually really, really tired and telling his disciples, these are some of them are fishermen, that they should go across the sea, right? And so they hop in a boat to do that. And Jesus goes to sleep in this tiny little, you know, rowboat. And he's sleeping in it. And there's this big storm. So think about this. Both Jonah and Jesus, they got into a boat. With me? With me? Okay. Both Jonah and Jesus. In fact, if you look at the story uh, where it tells the story of Jesus in this boat where the disciples go, ah, we need a Savior, and they call Jesus, and he comes and saves the day. Both, if you read the story of that boat and read the story of Jonah's boat, the storms are actually described almost identically. Okay? No, that would have made sense because these are pretty common storms. If you know anything about Middle Eastern culture and being on the, the Sea of Galilee, there were these big, like, gale force winds that just pop up in the afternoon, and everything would turn dark, and so it would make sense that these storms would be similar. Both storms actually really threaten the ship. Got it? Both Jonah and Jesus are asleep in the story. Uh, they both get awakened at the sailors' or fishermen's request, or the disciples' request for help. And what do both sets of people say? We're going to die, right? Same story. Uh, both uh, cases, there's a miraculous divine intervention, uh, and the sea is calmed. Got it? True and better. Uh, both, both Jonah's actions and Jesus's actions caused the sea to stop raging. And in both sets of stories, this is so interesting, the sailors then become even more terrified, or the disciples become even more terrified than they were before the, uh, during the storm. 
They're so mesmerized that they just interacted with the God of the universe that they tremble in fear of his holiness, right? They finally see God and all of his might and all of his power. I've told you that there's been this, that throughout history, there's been this pendulum swing between God is holy and you know, God's truth and God is gracious and kind. And it just seems throughout generations that pendulum swings back and forth. You know, when this nation was founded, it was founded on a real deep God is holy. You can read like Jonathan Edwards' words, sinners in the hands of an angry God, like this perfect holiness. And we're kind of migrated over the last 30, 40, maybe 50, maybe 100 years to the Jesus is really, really loving. Both sets are true. Jesus is our homeboy. Well, that's probably not quite how it works, right? And so there's this, I think there's this kind of move back, I certainly hope, to the center where we see God in all of his grace and love and you are, he is, he is so gracious and kind to us and yet we see him as perfect and holy and God incarnate that we worship God. We don't just use him for fire insurance later, but we come and we tremble and we go, God, you are great and you are good. And so in both sets, that's what happens in these moments. Jonah and Jesus lead them to see God as great and good simultaneously. And their actual response is actually fear and trepidation. When's the last time you looked at God and had that kind of response of his awe and his holiness? But this leads to those things. We see it in both of these. And then the last one I'd point out here is um, they both sacrifice themselves. Now, Jesus doesn't sacrifice himself in that storm. Uh, he actually sacrificed himself a year and a half later on a cross when there is raging wars all around and storms all around. And Jesus literally looked out of a bunch of broken people, a bunch of broken storms, and he actually makes a declaration, God forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing, right? So they both, and Jonah goes, hey, uh, I'll surrender my life. They both get, they sacrifice themselves. Remember, typology, Jesus is true and better. Now, this is where it gets interesting. What happens to Jonah? He ends up in the belly of a fish for three days. He gets eaten. What does he get eaten by? The thing that they worshiped. He gets eaten by this fish. That's representative of the fish god. This would not have been lost on the Ninevites. When this guy gets regurgitated out of the mouth on the seashore, they'd go, what in the world? Somehow his god has power over the fish, and we worship this tiny little shrink, uh, you know, little be tiny little trinket false god, right? And so they would have saw that, and literally Jonah gets put in the belly of the well for three days. And now there is some confusion about whether or not he dies or he just hangs out in there. We don't know. But based on the story that we're pointing out, it almost makes more sense that Jonah just dies. That'd be a better option in there than to live in all that mess, right? How does he breathe? How does he do those things? We don't know. We just know that after the third day, he gets resurrected back on the seashore. He gets spit out of the belly of the thing that they worshiped. Now let's think about this. Jesus goes into a tomb. Such a brilliant story, right? Like God writing this for thousands of years. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. He gets taken off the cross right? There's this massive earthquake, massive storm, really, really complicated stuff. We can read in the veil is torn in two. Lots to think about in terms of the typology of that, meaning God makes himself available to us. He, ex- he exposes his heart to us, all these different things. And But it, it, Jesus gets put where? In a tomb, in the earth, for three days. Now, what's interesting is Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, talks about in Romans 1, where he talks about how broken and evil we all are. And that sometimes just it turns us over to our desires. Such a devastating statement, just to be honest with you, as I look around our world, look around my own life at times. And then um, it says that what happened is God revealed himself in creation, but what happens is humans actually lost sight of creator, and what do they start worshiping? Creation. Jesus gets crammed into cre- the creation, right into the middle of the earth the thing that we worship, right? And we got all sorts of different gods and we worship the things that creation creates for us, whether that's humans, whether that's uh, 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 some kind of energy that produces jobs, whatever it is. We all worship these different things. And so Jesus gets put in the middle of it and then he comes back to life. And so Jesus is going, you're looking for a sign. No, Jesus hasn't done this yet. He said, there will be a sign. And this is a sign for, as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, here's what it says. So will the son of man be to this generation. So you're going, hey, do you remember Jonah? He stood up. Those people responded and go, we're so broken. They saw a perfect and holy God and they said, Father, forgive us. They repented and God blessed them and saved them and brought them out of their despair. And he's going, just like Jonah was that for those broken people, guess what? I'm going to do the same thing for you. Now here's what's interesting. These guys are going, what are you talking about? We don't need that. 
we just need you to give us our government back from the Romans. Who are you talking about? The Ninevites are gross and dirty. We're not, they worship fish gods. We have a temple. We go in it. We give our sacrifices. We perform well. What do you want? That's, these are not the same, Jesus. They're dirty and broken and gross. We're good and religious. So Jesus is showing this up, show, talking to me. He's going, and he's saying, look, here's the reality. You want a sign, but the sign's a sign of Jonah. And they're going, that sign wasn't for us. That was for the people over across the way. The people with that skin color. The people with that worship style. The people that look like that and wear that. Right? And so then Jesus continues. This is what he says. He's continuing to talk. So will the Son of Man be to this generation? He says something really weird. Verse 31. The Queen of the South, that's such a weird verse, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Okay? Queen of the South will rise up. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. See that? Something greater than Solomon here. So now we got another thing to think about. Not only is Jesus greater than Jonah, Jesus is greater than Solomon. Got it? So this is really, really confusing. And if you're not religious, I'm really glad, actually, because I told you how, how dangerous religion is. But for those of us who grew up in, in the church, we, uh, we might be familiar with this story. And so Solomon was the king of Israel. And for a while, he was a pretty good king. And then he, he actually loves God. God says, hey, whatever you want, I'll give you. You ask for wisdom, really, really smart requests. And Solomon it does some really amazing things. He actually has the vision to build this, uh, well, he, and fulfills the vision of his dad to fulfill this temple, this place that God could dwell and people could come close to him, right? Again, typology that uh, we now are the true and better temple uh, for a different day. We talk about it on Tuesday during overtime podcast. But Solomon, he's the one, you might know the story where these two people go, that's my baby, that's my baby. And they're fighting over the baby. And Solomon's like, oh, it's okay. Just cut the baby in half. You can each have half the baby. And one, and one goes, great, give me half the baby, right? And the other one's like, no, no. And he's like, oh, you must be the mother. Here you go, right? You know the story really. It's a really brilliant, wise man. And he had all all access to all the riches in the world. He actually writes a book called Ecclesiastes where he basically says, hey, I've gone through everything. There's nothing new under the sun and all of it leaves you wanting, right? And so Solomon was this guy with all this wisdom and at the end of his life finally concludes that nothing on this earth can, nothing that this earth can produce can satisfy us. And so he points to this Solomon who's come to these conclusions and says, there's this lady who knew all about Solomon. He was the king of Israel and he was brilliant. And this lady, she was named the queen of Sheba. She heard about this guy who had all the wisdom from access from this holy and perfect God. So what does the queen of Sheba do? She, do, she packs up her, her stuff and she goes with all these gifts and she goes and sits at the feet of Solomon. And she's like, look, I know that you're not God. There's a true and better version of you as a king, right? And I want to know more about that king. And so Solomon reveals to her who this great and holy and mighty God is, this triune God who always existed. And this queen goes, that's who I've been looking for. I've been looking everywhere for her, and I haven't found it in my little regime of Sheba. I haven't found it in all my riches. I haven't found it in my spouse. I want what you have. And Solomon's like, it's not in what I have. It's, within, it's who I know, right? And so she bows down and worships this king of the Lord, not Solomon, but this king, this God. And she goes, that's the one I want after. And so Jesus is going, look, okay, let me tell you another story. This is someone else who responded. This is like the queen of the south. She's kind of like Jonah. She, uh, you know, goes to Nineveh. Nineveh repents. This is a lady who had everything you could possibly ever imagine. It was enough. She comes to find Solomon and finds out about this perfect and holy God. And Jesus is going, I want you to know that perfect and holy God. And when you see that perfect and holy God, you're going to go, ooh, ooh, ooh. There's no way I can have access to him. And I want you to know that what I'm going to do on the third day is actually going to make it available for you to have access to that perfect and holy God. And he will no longer just be a God and a king. He will be your father. And so this queen of Sheba, she discovers this. And he says, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So she's like, hey, there's going to come this day. Well, you're going to interact with those Ninevites. You interact with this queen. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 32. The men of Nineveh, those people who worship fish gods, the queen of Sheba, the one who worship gold and trinkets, they're going to look at you. And here's what they're going to say. They will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. They're going to go, you're not, you had access to a perfect and holy God. You had a Holy Spirit who was revealing himself to you. You had a big brother in Jesus who paid the price for your sin to make all this available to you. And yet, they're going to condemn it. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, here it is again. Something greater than Jonah is here. So he's going, you want a sign? The God of the universe has stepped down on this planet. 
You want a sign? Here I am in front of you. And the best sign you're going to get is actually better than the signs of the past that the Queen of Sheba had and the Queen of Jonah, or that Jonah had, because something in front of you is greater than those, and you cannot see it. You've been so busy and consumed with trying to perform. You've been so busy and consumed with trying to make it look like you have it all together. You've been so busy and consumed with trying to get your whole life together and pretend and all those different things. You got so busy and consumed trying to climb up that corporate ladder. You got so busy and consumed trying to renovate the house. You got so busy and consumed thinking that that next thing, next job, next house, next spouse is going to be thinking. You got so busy and consumed that you just missed the God of the universe literally came and brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. You've been looking underneath all the rocks. You've been thinking, maybe it's somewhere out there. Maybe if I get reincarnated, maybe somewhere out there, he's going, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And literally, the way that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, says it is this. He goes, repent, for the kingdom of God is right in front of you. <laughs> so I'm 40 years old. I would say I became a Christian at seven. A preacher preached on hell. I didn't want to go there. So I came down front and said, I don't want to go there. And he goes, okay, then you got to ask Jesus into your heart. That creeped me out a little bit because I didn't think my heart was that big, but I was going to give it a try, right? And I prayed some prayer. He made me stand on front and a bunch of people came and shook my hands. And that was before there was access to hand sanitizer. Seven-year-old kid and all these people calling me Brother Josh all of a sudden, right? And then I get baptized. I was very relieved because I didn't want to go to hell, but nothing else really changed. I just was a little punk kid doing punk kid things. Then as a seventh grader, I had this, I went to this spiritual retreat. I can remember what it was called, Dare to Be a Daniel. And it was living opposite of what the culture did, like Daniel did in Babylonia. And what got really awkward is my dad was the one doing the preaching. And it was on this series called True Love Waits, meaning I was supposed to save myself for marriage. So the whole time, you know, my dad had a real plan there going, I don't want new grandkids anytime soon, right? But I'm going, I just want to, I don't know what it means. I just need to perform really well for God to like me. And I gave up my life and I go, God, I'll, I'll surrender any of this earthly pleasure for you. I got a ring to wear, but it was too small. So I had to wear it on my pinky. So I am as a middle school kid wearing this ring on my pinky. And that was what my life was devoted to, right? Okay, God, I will, I will perform well for you. And then I went off into high school and I kept going, oh God, I think you want my future, but that sounds weird. That sounds like a pastor. I don't want to do that. How about God, I go off to school and I'll study law and I'll be a lawyer and then I'll run for office and then I can actually do better things for your kingdom. And so I had this plan. And then um, uh, the plan changed. I met a, met a girl who had a six-month-old baby. We started dating and I became a ready-made dad as a 20-year-old. A year and a half into our dating, we got married. And life was absolute chaos. I'm this little stepdad. Uh, the dad has, is nowhere in the picture, really. And it is chaos. And our marriage is chaos. Um, my siblings didn't show up at the wedding because it was that much chaos. Right? And I know it's chaos. And I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. Okay, fine. I'll go be a pastor. So I go and find this part-time youth gig as this youth pastor. Still thinking if I perform well as a pastor, God would reconcile all the chaos in my life. A month into being a pastor there, I pull up for nursery duty one Sunday. I'm in the pastor seat. My wife's in the driver's seat. And I go to get out and hop out and get the little girl out of the back seat. And she goes, don't do that. She took off her rings and handed them to me and says, I'm sorry. I have never loved you. I cannot do this anymore. She handed me the rings. I, got, I was standing in the car and she backed out. I am sobbing like a baby. She's pulling away. But then a couple other people get out of the car and go, hey, Josh, you Okay. Never been better. And then I go and I watch two-year-olds and change diapers for the next hour and a half. Then I go home, I lay in a closet, and I cry. I get up the next day and I go back to my real job, which was as a banker. I came home that day, and then I came home, the whole house was empty. The whole thing had been moved out. Even the stovetop stuffings in the freezer, all gone. And I am sobbing, going, God, there's got to be something better than this, right? And so I, then I had to announce it to the church. My wife left me. They were gracious, but it was humiliating. And then I had to share it with our students. Hey, I'm your youth pastor. My wife just left, but they're going to let me keep my job. And I remember them being so gracious. And for the first time in my life, I saw a glimpse of what grace was. It wasn't about my performance. It wasn't that I, that I could do enough to earn God's favor. And in that moment, for the first time, I remember just being a puddle and going, God just loves me. He just loves me. And now I finally understand why Jesus had to die for me. I am a broken mess. I cannot perform any longer. And you would think it would have stuck. But I got in that church realm, right? 
I kept being a pastor, and I kept getting the right answers, and I kept learning more and understanding more, and boy, could I give you the right answers. And I could stand up, and I could teach these answers. And something happened where this migration of me understanding grace and peace and love migrated to this deep place of performance, this performance anxiety that I got to do better, that I got to be better, that I got to have it all together, right? And in the back of my mind, there's a spirit going, Josh, just come back. Just come back. Come back to the broken 20-year-old. Let's come back to that. Let's come back to my spirit being enough for you. Come back to where it wasn't about what you need to do next or how you need to perform next. Just come back. And through some messy circumstances, God brought me back. And so when I tell you that I see this story of the Queen of Sheba and I hear it talking, I'm going, oh, oh, that God would have preached this sermon to me two years ago. So just hear me as someone who loves you. I want you to be filled with joy and blessedness. It is available to you, but it is not based on your performance. Your performance is a very clear one-way ramp right into the pits of this earth and the pits of hell. So when Jesus says this, he goes, you've been looking for all these things, but you have looked for Solomon and Jonah, and you've not actually seen that which is better, which is Jesus. And the, I'm going to show you one day. I'm going to go into the earth. I'm going to die a sinner's death, and I'm going to prepare and proclaim that God, there would make, and I would make a way where you could be back to God. And so how do these folks do it? What does Jesus say? Hey, here's what your condemnation is going to be. The difference with the Ninevites, the difference with the Queen of Sheba is this. They repented. They repented, and so I'm sweaty up here. I got my southern accent coming. I feel like an old southern Baptist preacher preaching at you in this hellfire and brimstone, but it's not that. I'm not trying to scare you out of hellfire and brimstone. I'm trying to scare you into heaven, right? I'm trying for you to come in trepidation. I'm going, I don't know what that looks like, and that certainly is scary, but I'm going to keep going because that just seems like the next right step. I'm just going, all I'm asking you to do is just that spirit who's calling you now, telling you to trust in Jesus, I'm just telling you to grab that spirit's hand and just take that next step. And yes, there is still fear and trepidation. Oh, but it's so good. It's so good. That word metanoia, or metanoio, or neo, meta, neo, Neo, metaneo, there it is. That word in the Greek just literally means to change your mind. And as you change your mind, what will end up happening is it will change your beliefs. And as you change your beliefs, it will eventually change your actions. So all I'm asking of you today is just that you would change your mind. That you would just go, it's not about my performance. There's nothing I can do to earn God's love. There's nothing I could do to make God love me anymore today. But change your mind. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. Hear me. Your value is what someone is willing to pay for you. We understand how value works. Jesus goes, you want something greater than Jonah? I'm going to pay the price for you. Your value, God of the universe, is son's death. But it's okay because he resurrected himself. That is what I'm asking you to consider and change. And so what's going to happen is the band's going to come up here, and we're just going to sing and sit still in the song. It's called a song of repentance. Song of repentance. So what the Ninevites did is they put on a sackcloth. What we do is we confess and we follow Jesus. And maybe for some of you, that next step will lead to next month's baptism. Seems like a really good moment of repentance. To actually not put on a sackcloth, but put on a puddle of water all around you to go, God is greater than my worst thing. So here's the big idea. Not even mine, I don't even know. I just copied it and pasted it. God's ability to clean things up is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. God's ability to clean things up is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. So, would you invite God through Jesus as his spirit's prompting to take that step to go, God, would you clean me up? Would, would, it, would you come in? And would you change the way you think about it? And so the band's going to lead us in a song and you can just sit still and listen to it if you're online or on the parking lot. You can just listen to it until you're ready to stand and sing. You're welcome to use these words as words of repentance. But only in your time and only in your way, please don't see this as an act of performance. See it as a moment of contrition and surrender. So would you lead us?
So I'm going to be teaching you a new word over the next several weeks, or a new phrase, and you might be aware of it, but this is your week to practice this homework. You ready for it? It's the, it's the phrase redemptive potential. Redemptive potential. That means in everything we see, every brokenness in our world, every broken part in our life, there holds this opportunity of redemption in it, right? And so my life, my three kids, my beautiful wife on stage is a picture of redemptive potential. Jonah's story, the Queen of Sheba story, Solomon's story, the temple is a picture of redemptive potential, right? That Jesus sees all things and he bends and shapes all things for our good and its redemption and his glory. So as you move about this week, may everywhere you look in your own life, in your family, in your kids, may you see the potential of redemption that Christ can do if he is made greater and we are made less. I love you all. If we can be available to you, please email us, text us, 610-869-2140. Call us however we can be available. Fill out the Connect card. We are here for you. Be blessed, and may you walk in the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has for you this week. Love you. Be safe.